Guy here. You're listening to an audio broadcast of Market Call. That's MRKT Call. It's a daily video series I do with Dan Nathan every Monday through Thursday live at 1 p.m. Eastern. We break down the big market moving headlines and offer trade ideas. Each week, we're joined by our friends Carter Worth of Worth Charting and Liz Young, that's EY of SoFi, for their investment analysis. So check it out. And if you like it, follow at Market Call on on Twitter and subscribe to Risk Reversal Media's YouTube page so you never miss an episode. What do they say? Um, what does that OMG thing mean? Oh my God. Well, OMG, it's the three of us together here. <laughs> For the one o'clock market call, it's December 7th. That's a day, obviously, that has and will continue yeah. to live in infamy. Now, you think about it quickly, there are only probably a few people left that were there that day. So, if you're watching, we thank you for your service. And I mean that sincerely. Maybe there are some, who knows? But this is market call, one o'clock on the East Coast. Dan Nathan, give a shot of Dan. Yeah. Guy Adami EY from SoFi joining us. And we have a fun show. And of course, Dan, if it's Thursday, it's butters. Bitch. Yes, right. it is. Yeah, there we go. It ain't Margaret. Right. I was not paying I mean, attention. you're not paying any attention <laughs> at all. But let's all look right. at the rundown because this is fun. Uh, Elizabeth's going to look at the labor market as she should. Google and AMD vying for this AI crown. Be careful. Uneasy is the head that wears the crown for yeah. Shakespeare fans out there. And Lulu and Broadcom earnings, that comes out AVGO preview. Yeah, it does. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that, guys. So December 7th, 1941, uh, obviously the, the the Pearl Harbor. And you just mentioned that. I mean, if you were likely alive during that, you know what I mean? Like you are, you're, you're, you're getting there. My dad, who is, uh, you know, um, is 81 mm -hmm. or two, um, was born a year after that. You know, mm -hmm. it's just kind of amazing. So thank all of them for their service. You, you have to have an 80 handle, which, yeah. you know, yeah. and for those who were there, yeah. if you think you were a teenager there, you know, you're pushing 99, yeah. 100 years old. Yeah. So, all right. Um, you know, it's interesting. We spent a couple days, Liz. We started the, the week. We started the week with Liz Guy. Of course we did. On the on the tape podcast. We're not Monday. ending the week because it's only Thursday. No, it's not. That's true. Um, but, you know, we were talking about a little bit about like this kind of underperformance from some of the mega cap tech stocks. And uh -huh. we were talking about the broadening out. Carter yesterday on the market call mentioned the fact that the equal weight S&P has actually outperformed the market cap weight S&P off the October 27 highs. So whatever you're looking at, you can just say at least as far as like the mega cap tech stocks or mega cap stocks in general, you know, you've seen a broadening out a little bit, just a little bit. There's mm -hmm. thoughts there because like on a day like today, it just seems like they're just all back into the stuff that, you know, has worked all year long. Yeah, well, so I think there's one big thing that's going on right now and something that is going to either confirm or deny this rally yeah. into 2024. The broadening out of the rally so far has been mostly just a rotation, people taking money out of the mm -hmm. big winners, putting it into the big losers. So it's just the same money moving around yeah. within risk assets. It's not necessarily new money coming into risk assets. Now, if you're a rational investor, you want to take some of your gains. Maybe you're taking gains at the end of the year. You want to set yourself up for more gains next year. You're going to put money into the stuff that's more attractively priced. So I think that makes sense, right? Here's the thing. The tipping point will be if next year 
we start to see as rates continue to come down, if we start to see money come out of treasuries, out of money markets and go into risk assets, that keeps this rally going, that makes it sustainable, that makes it durable. I am not sold that that's what's going to happen because as rates come down, I think people will be fearful of what's uh, the other what, things what, that are going what, what, on. Guy, what will make them be fearful? Because right now they love it. They love the fact that the 10 year yield will, mm. despite the fact that the upper bound of fed funds, right. Is five and a half percent. And we know that these rate uh, cuts have been pulled forward. They love the fact that stocks, you know, like, like, like they love stocks right here at 4.1% in the 10 year, you know what I mean? So like the assumption is, is that the next thing is going to be that the fed gets even more dovish and then they move to a cut. And then literally what's being priced right now in the stock market is that it's just full on you're buying here because you think there's higher highs in the not so distant future right, a couple of things so i'm not sure the fed is dovish but i understand what you're yeah. saying i mean i think there's five i think elizabeth knows this there are five rate cuts now priced in yeah. for next year probably starting in april ish march. march they skip april no they meeting skip april. so there you go march push it right in the beginning of the year why not party on people so <laughs> that's that is priced into a 4600 s&p some whatever landing, you know, everything's going to be fine is absolutely priced in. To answer your question specifically, and Elizabeth's going to look at this, we teased it. What's going to scare people, I think, are two things. Bank credit, which continues to contract at an almost historic rate, which nobody seems to be talking about, one. And two, the employment picture, and we're going to get a number tomorrow. If that continues, I shouldn't say continues. If that starts to deteriorate in a sort of nonlinear way, which I think will happen, that also will scare people. So an economy based on people having jobs, buying stuff, relying on credit, well, credit's contracting and jobs pictures going the wrong way. That doesn't augur particularly well. That will scare people at some point. Are you scared, Liz? I'm not scared right now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we've been we've been pretty cautious all year. So I think my peak scareness yeah. was probably in summer. Yeah. Uh, and then it didn't really come to fruition. Here's the thing about these, these rate cuts. We've got a lot going on this week before the Fed even happens. But yes, you're right. Five cuts priced into next year already. Now above a 70% chance of it starting in March, actually a non-zero chance of it starting in January. Here's, here's the piece that I would tell people to try to think about. I'm writing my outlook right now. I'm calling the outlook part wrapped in contradictions mm. because we've got a stock market that's telling us cyclicality is strong, everything's okay. Some of the economic data telling us that everything is muddling through, mm -hmm. right? It's gotten marginally mm -hmm. worse, but not terrible. Yet we have rate cuts that continue to be pulled more and more forward. What's the rush? If everything's fine, what's the right. rush? And the Fed has not even hinted at shifting its narrative. I find it really hard to believe that they're going to completely turn around by March and be able to tell the market, hey, we're going to start cutting. Yeah. They like to preempt it. They haven't even hinted at it so yet. A, they don't even have time to talk moment. about talking about it. If that does it. happen, though, there will be a moment. And like, like we're yep. looking back to November 13th when we had that cooler CPI reading and, and yields came in 30-some mm -hmm. basis points, like seemed like that. And 40 the stock basis market points, was remaining like yeah, you know, a couple percent. I'll just say this, you know, on the credit front. So, Guy, what you're talking about is like access to credit. So banks are kind of pulling back. And we've seen some data recently that year over year, it's down maybe 1.5% or something like that. On the other side, you know, we've been talking about what happens to the credit markets in general, right? So we know that commercial real estate has been a focus here. I thought there was an interesting headline out of Bloomberg today, KKR is shrugging off 
Fear in the market to buy up risky debt. Private and liquid credit markets ripe with opportunity. Firm is starting to shift allocation toward high-yield bonds, which brings us to the HYG. It's something that you like. Maybe the folks can uh, pull that one up here. Have you seen the rally in the HYG guy? I mean, like literally lockstep with yields coming in, stock market going higher, right? And really what I think is more interesting about this, not the move, you know, it looks like a lot of things that we've tracked over the last month and a half or so, is the fact that it is above that consolidation Mm -hmm. where we were all during the spring, right after that regional banking crisis, where a lot of us got fixated on the fact that credit was going to be an issue on the other side of that. So thoughts on that, because we've highlighted high yield credit and obviously KKR is talking their book. Um, Just thoughts. You know, as they should, a lot of people should talk their book. I mean, if you're bullish in something, you're buying something, you should be talking about the reasons why. So I have no issue with that. I don't think you do as well. The speed with which the HYG, and this is an instrument that does not trade like this. It typically goes nowhere. That's great on one hand. It's bad on the other hand, because I do think maybe a lot of people got themselves little, me being one of them, negative there, maybe short, but you now have a gap in the chart on the downside. You know, we talk about these things all the time and we're back to levels that we saw probably, I would imagine, in the spring and the summer of this year. So yes, it's something to watch without question. I, I continue to have Jamie Dimon's voice in my head and he continues to be um, cautious and worried about some sort of event going forward yeah. as well. I do too. I mean, this is the most important banker in the world that seemingly doesn't think we're out of the woods yet. Neither do I. Yeah. And really quickly, if they could pull up the chart of KKR, this is fascinating. The stock from late October is up 40%. Look at that. Mm. I think about that. I mean, like, like, so talk about investors voting with their wallets and mm. believing what these guys uh, and gals have to say. Um, pretty astounding. Uh, listen, you know, there will be some event, Liz, that none of us foresee, right? Mm. Like none of us, coming into last year, thought that we were going to have, A, this revolution, this epiphany about AI and how it's going to change the entire economy. And it really has changed at least the stock market in the last year, but then also what happened in the regional banking crisis. And then when you think about it, AI really was a buoy for all the fears that a lot of us who have PTSD from the financial crisis or whatever happened during COVID and and credit markets seizing up, that excitement in and around that, you know, coupled with some action by the Fed, really just kind of like, I don't know what what you'd say. It's just kind of brushed everything aside. Yeah. I mean, it it overshadowed all of it, right? It was suddenly the bright, shiny object that everybody wanted to focus on because I think there was still appetite though. And that speaks to what investor sentiment looked like, even with a regional banking crisis, there was still this huge desire to buy stuff and still this huge want for the market to just get through it all. And it worked, right? Yeah. It, I mean, it got masked a little bit by what was happening in top names, but it still worked. Now, look, there's always the possibility of an event. Every single year that we invest, there is the possibility of an event. We had a decently positive event last year that buoyed markets through some stress. Maybe this year it's a negative event. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it's going to be quite as much of a surprise. If there is one, it may be a credit event. I don't think that that's going to be a shock to a lot of people. It could be some kind of geopolitical event. I don't think that's going to be a huge shock to a lot of people either. But the other event that could occur, and we sort of alluded to this, if the market's pricing in cuts starting in March, what if the Fed comes out in December and is like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm, we, yeah. You're not listening. We haven't told you anything about that. Yeah. Then the market has to unprice those well, cuts and it starts to grind. So over. here's the thing. And we've been talking about financial conditions. The higher the stock market goes, okay, with rates down here, the better or like the less seized up the housing market is. 
that's not a great scenario for the Fed, right? Like, like again, they, they don't want to see risk assets like a bubble inflating right as they're about or like, like historically about to start cutting interest rates. That would kind of be bad for financial conditions. Wouldn't you think so, guys? Uh, listen, I think Elizabeth makes the right point. The Fed has not indicated, and we, we alluded to that with one of your comments, they haven't indicated yeah. that dovish at all. I mean, they've the, the rhetoric out of them, then maybe there's some Fed officials out there that have talked about a back half of 24 cut or those types of things. We've done enough. I agree they probably have done enough. I think you would agree they probably have done enough. Mm-hmm. Problem is, of course, it's like... You know, you're from the Midwest. Beautiful place. I, yeah, right? I am. Yeah. They're farms. Yeah. <laughs> In case you've you seen it. them, farms like yeah, lots people... of farms. Lots of farms. So one of the things that farmers used to be concerned about, I'm not so sure anymore, but it was one of sort of the plagues or locusts. Mm. Are you familiar with those? Yes. The, uh-huh. This big. So the swarm of them come. Everybody sees them coming. Holy shit! This is going to be devastating. They go through your crops. It takes a period of time. You're looking. You're looking. Then they're gone. Everybody re- breathes a sigh of relief. The locusts are gone. And then you turn around. And you're like, holy shit there's still devastation that we have to deal with in terms of our crops. And maybe it's not a great analogy, but it is people get excited that the Fed is out of the way the same way the locusts are gone. But when they turn around, we have to deal with the aftermath of what they've just done. And I don't think the market's dealt with that at all. Question for Liz. Um, if you tip a cow, right? Like, it's not, you know, do the cows get hurt? I, well, they can't get back up, and sometimes, yeah, I do. They do. Okay, I just yeah. want to make. So, so you people, tip cows? No, no, no I've never done. No, I mean, don't tip cows, people. No. I just, I'm just curious because I thought yeah. you were going to go with some. Cows no, 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 no. I, I don't know. Listen. I'm just curious. You know, curious. What's a, a much nicer way to go yeah. do something on a farm in Wisconsin is you shine deer. Pardon me. You shine. You shine deer. Don't tip a cow. Shine a deer. You take. You put like a spotlight on your truck or something. Oh, sh- and, uh, and like shoot it into a field. Yeah. Shoot the and light they all into stand the field. And, stare and they are. They literally. They're like deer in headlights, yeah. and you see them, see. and they just it. they freeze. And I thought it had it. a different uh, meaning. Guy, no. that's guy, probably best no. that I didn't say anything. The guy, no. the more the more you know. Um, the other thing I would just say. So we started this year, and, and again, you know, it was a pretty bad year in the stock market last year. Sentiment was really bad heading into the year, despite yeah. the fact that the stock market, you know, had kind of rallied a little bit here, but some of the most loved names were still making lows in the first week of this year. And it's interesting that this AI thing, you know, ChatGPT came out late last year and, and it, you had to be like a real techie to, to be paying attention at that point. Mm-hmm. But then at some point in the start of the year, and this is something that we'll probably spend a lot of time over the next few weeks talking a little bit about how investors are willing to take a lot more risk mm-hmm. in the start of a year, right? They feel like they have a lot of time to make things up and narratives work, you know, month to month, quarter over quarter, you know, that sort of stuff. And you have comparisons and the like and all that sort of stuff, right? So do you remember the first week of February, we were doing market call one day or we all were recording, I think, um, and on the tape podcast and all of a sudden like Google in a really benign market, Okay, Alphabet was down like 5%, like out of nowhere. You know what I mean? And it was like, and we're like, what the hell going on? And then people are like, well, there's a really bad BARD launch. And people are like, what the hell BARD? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so this was their 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 large language model that was meant to compete with ChatGPT. And the stock was below $100. Mm-hmm. So today, it's up 5.5%. Mm-hmm. It's $137, okay? And now, you know, one of their generative AI models is getting really good reviews. It's so funny because the headlines are saying something different than what really, if you were to read some of the articles, this wasn't really a hands-on presentation or anything like that, but it was like a video presentation and it's getting good reviews and the stock's at 5.5%. So I guess my point is, we started the year and you couldn't give Alphabet away below $100. Mm-hmm. We're ending the year, it's approaching its 52-week highs again. And you guys, you see that gap? Remember that 
cap. That Mind was from earnings. Okay. Like that was because people were really disappointed about whatever was supposed to flow through as far as AI and fears about, you know, market share losses and search because maybe, you know, Bing and, you know, all this sort of crap. So it's interesting that we're booking ending like this. And the other one before I'm just going to pass it over and I'll shut up, I promise, is let's look at AMD today, which mm-hmm. is up nearly 7%. Again, Nvidia had this. That was it. They had the GPOs to train all those models that were going to go in all the supercomputers that were going to all the data centers for for AI. That's how the year started. And it's interesting to me that now we're ending with the fact that AMD launched these products guy. We talked about it on Fast Money a little bit and they raised the TAM, the total addressable market for the products that they just announced. And we were saying to ourselves, the stock was like unchanged, right? Lisa Sue was just on CNBC and now it's up 7%. So what does it tell you a little bit about sentiment? Are we seeing a changing of the guard as we get into year end in and around the AI stuff, because this is something I think you want to uh, keep an eye on as we had. Well, a couple things, and Elizabeth has thoughts as well. You couldn't give NVIDIA away in October of last year. I'm telling you, that move, and it was a six-month move to the downside, culminating in the fall, the same way you couldn't give AMD away over a six-month move culminating in the fall. That stock, I think, traded down to 60 bucks or something at its trough. I'll say this about AMD as well. When they just reported earnings a month or so, whenever it was, the knee-jerk reaction, having closed, I think, around 96 and a half, was to sell it off. And we talked about it on the show. And one of the things I said is people have been zigging when they should be zagging the stock. What I meant was when it was 132, a month and a half, two months earlier, everybody loved it. When it was at 96, everybody hated it. Now it's back to those levels where you have to be, I think, not concerned, but you have to say, okay, is this move too much too fast? And quite frankly, Given the fact that we're trading up to levels we saw in the summer, I think the answer is yes. One of the things that I've been thinking about lately, obviously at the end of every year, we debate whether or not we're going to have a year-end rally. That makes this year no different. Mm-hmm. But now what the narrative is, usually if you if you think about seasonality, and I know nobody on this desk really puts a lot of weight in it, but if you think about it, because we talk about it a lot, if we have a year-end rally, January typically is a friendly time mm-hmm. for markets too. But the narrative has changed where everybody is pretty comfortable saying, yeah, we could rally through year end, but January and February might be a little dicey. That stuff just starts to turn into a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm -hmm. So you get to the end of the year, we see the rally, and then everybody's like, okay, I'm done, I'm out. Also, think about sentiment at extremes. We've got bullish readings at the highest in a long time, bearish readings at the lowest in a long time. So if this is the opposite of last year, and actually last year, those readings were about tied Mm -hmm. at the end of the year. If this is the opposite of last year where everybody's coming into the year feeling a lot better, maybe they're wrong this time, right? And this is something Adam Parker has made this point a couple times. I think last year he talked about it a lot where everybody was so sure that the first half of last year was going to be bad and the second half was going to be good. And he would say, because we're all so sure of that, it's going to happen in the reverse, right? And I think that's part of what we're probably going to deal with going into 2024. All right, here's um, a tweet that Doug Cass just forwarded us, which I think is um, fantastic. Thank you, Doug, for your help. And this is from our... Well, she's she's a great Liz. I mean, Liz yeah. Ann Saunders is she, an amazing Liz guy, and she was on the on the tape podcast just. A I don't. I call ago. her Elizabeth. Our Elizabeth. Our Elizabeth. Okay, oh. so Liz Ann is other an, people call is her an amazing Liz, Liz and does That's amazing correct. work. Yeah. Um, look at this tweet. Okay, you can't read it right there, guys. Well, I'm looking Chris, at. I can't percentage companies with strong, healthy Altman Z scores, which can. Okay, stop a, for a second. I'm going to be honest with you. I could nod my head. And, and I've, I've I never heard you what the Altman Z score is. Z score. I was so I just want to be clear. 
Anyway, what's those tables in the way yeah, back of a textbook? Means, I mean, and you got to find anyway. them. Okay. Please okay. continue. Which right. combine account profitability, leverage, liquidity, solvency, activity ratios, etc., to measure bankruptcy risk. Does that make sense? Now, okay. It does. Now it does. Okay, has dropped below ten percent for the first time on record per Fathom Macro. Okay, and I, I think it's uh, you know so. Let's talk about this because you just said the word complacency. Doug, this pops into our head. This is actually screaming of complacency, right? Like, so let's talk about that a little bit because there was a time not too long ago. Remember, there was a lot of folks in the media that were like stacking up all the bankruptcies and the like here. And we were talking about that a little bit. And it's kind of ironic in a way when we looked at that HYG, the high yield, right? You would think that's an area where you might see bankruptcy pile up. So here we are. It seems like financial conditions are really ripe. Okay, we have, um, you know, a lot of like a data that's kind of weakening. Oddly, we have the stock market very near its highs. We have almost every measure of volatility looks complacent. And then you get data like this. What does this say to you? Again, this is why I called my outlook wrapped in contradictions. You've got something where I think this is one of those situations. We're standing on the you are here star. Okay, the you are here star says yields have fallen. Inflation is coming down. Companies haven't had to refinance yet. They haven't hit that maturity wall. Consumers are still spending. We're expecting them to still spend into 2024. So today on the you are here star feels pretty good. But you don't buy a stock today and sell it at the end of today. So if you're going to buy it, on that star, you have to look out into three months, six months, 12 months down the road. I think that reading is going to go up. Before we get to Elizabeth's note, those you are here, like you go to the Bronx Zoo <laughs> and you go to that big sign that says you are here and it, and it's big like red X uh-huh. confuses the shit out of me. <laughs> you really have to have a sense of direction. Yeah. I like a compass with you. Yeah. Or I did, like wouldn't that. help me. No. So yeah. I, I, you know, it says it, I, it's helpful for some people. Yeah. Not for me, but that's I, no, completely independent of, of all this. I walk into a store, I walk out of the store, and I turn the wrong way every time. It's amazing. I, I can't. Yeah. Some so, people have a great sense of direction. Street, that's I don't. Yeah. All right. So so as we're talking about direction, let's pull up the S&P 500 chart here again, because this is something that it is consolidating. I remember the day, this was maybe about a week ago, Guy, when it was kind of literally just touching up against yeah. that July high or so, and we were kind of, kind of, you know, what would it take to kind of pop that through there? You know, this consolidation, I don't know, man, like, the, like there's two ways to think about this is make a little flag the longer it consolidates there the more tension that's sort of building and it wouldn't take much to get it up and if they could do a, a five-year chart a little bit and we'll see that 4800 uh level which was the high in the first week of, of uh 2022 or so i mean listen you know the longer we consolidate again mm-hmm. okay with decent enough news you look at that and you say all right well that looks kind of constructive right you can see the uptrend that's been in place since last october and you see where it needs to go um, but, you know, we would really need a whole host of things to really go right with the economy, in my opinion, okay, um, you know, for the stock market to break out and make a new high. And I keep getting, you know, emails. And listen, I'll just say this. We got a lot of really constructive stuff and say, listen, guys, I appreciate it. You stuck to your guns. You make a lot of good points. You're right on a bunch of stuff in the economy, but the market's not playing. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. A little bit. So mm-hmm. I like to think, I love to see those things. And I like to think, guy, what could be the scenario where we're knocking on the door of 4,800 in the S&P 5? in the next month, you know, or so okay. that wouldn't be like that unreasonable, especially with all the new money I'll, coming in new yeah. year and all this stuff. You'll play I'll, that. I'll play the yeah. game. Yeah. So, cause obviously the market is saying that, um, what could be inflation continues to moderate. The unemployment rate doesn't go higher the way I think it will yeah. in a, in a nonlinear way. Um, you start to see 
around the edges, some of these retailers say, you know what, we're probably too negative. We're actually seeing the, the consumer come back. Maybe bank this contraction in credit starts to wane and you start to see it turn. I mean, there are a number of things that can happen. I just don't think any of those things will happen. Yeah. So that's the answer to your question. But you, know, you go back historically, when these things are in motion, they stay in motion. And we talk about these leading economic indicators that have been deteriorating now for 19 straight months. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to say that's historic because I don't know that to be, but I would imagine that's a, probably about as severe as it gets. Yeah, I mean, let's let's pull up the ten-year yield chart here because I'm wondering. And this could be a good segue to what you want to focus on or what you did focus on in your note. I mean, like yields, if they were to find some support, you see that 200-day moving average, you see that breakout level from August, and this is just purely technical, and that doesn't mean crap. But if Guy is correct, what he thinks about some of the auctions that, like you know, in the in the funding that needs to be done, you've talked about this a little bit. Mm -hmm. This kind of could be the level where the 10-year yeah. finds some support. Yeah. And at that point, even if it just sticks around here and the data continues to weaken a little bit, that shouldn't be that supportive for stocks. Correct. And if the data continues to weaken, I'm willing to bet the two-year starts to come down if the 10-year gets stuck there and we start to re-steepen the yield curve. Mm -hmm. And as we've talked about many times, it's not the inversion that gets you, it's the re-steepening. So the 10-year at these levels, there's if you want pictures painted, what could happen to make it shoot back up the auctions that we covered a couple of weeks ago, but we've got a lot of data coming. We've got a big jobs Friday tomorrow. Do you guys get as excited about jobs Friday? Oh, I can't even begin to tell I mean, you. It's like 8.28 AM and I, I sit there like. No, it, you know, it's funny you say that because yes, I do. It's bad. And then you yeah. start to watch things oh, yeah. because something always moves like 90 seconds or so ahead of it. And you're like, yeah. all right, somebody knows yeah. something. Uh -huh. And I, I think it's fascinating. I Same. Uh, CPI days. <laughs> no, I'm, yeah. I, you'd think I'm, I'm, I'm not right even making it up. You know are you going to be in one of those, right are you going to be in one of those 10 boxes? Don't on, ever on, do no, that again. Friends <laughs> tomorrow morning. No. Not. No. Not. Don't ever do that I haven't done those in No, nor should you. You know what? You have graduated where you should. No, I'm just saying. Yeah. When you're there, it should just be you. You don't need the other nine Rimbomb beads. <laughs> she's anyway. Off, she's often on, on the closing bell. That's a great Scott, word, by the way, Rimbomb uh, you know, beads. Scott, no, it's just the two Scott, of you. Scott has a great get on Fed days. He has yeah. EY from SoFi on the CB, on the NYSE. A, and a then, lot of times, yeah. Not yeah, every time. Well, no, yeah. A lot of times. And then he has Jeffrey Gunlock. And you better yeah. call him Jeffrey. Next week. Really? Yep. Next oh. week, I'll be on the CB. You remember? He was on our show once. I, I don't remember. And we were told in our ear. Don't look at him. I'm just kidding. And call That's him Melissa. Jeffrey. And, and oh yeah, can't look her in the guy eye. Says that it's all the contract. time. You know when people are, you know, people are milling around at the Nasdaq. Oh, they no. have lots of guests there, and we're getting our, you know, stuff set up or whatever. Yeah. And some people say, "Hey, oh, that's guy Adami." And then Melissa's always there doing her work and you know getting ready or whatever. And be like, and he's so nice to everybody. Okay, uh -huh. and he's like, yeah. You know, just don't, don't, don't look her in the eye. I'm like, she's <laughs> really. I'm like, that is mean. And like, really? I'm like, yeah. Of course, oh, you know, then I'm, uh, yeah. but I always get a kick out of it. Um, anyway, so, yeah, so next no, week, I am excited next... tomorrow. Go ahead. Yes. Oh, back to, oh, so it's Jobs Friday tomorrow. It's Jobs oh, Friday tomorrow. Yeah. Next week is a Fed meeting. I will be on the CB. I, I'm a, I can only assume that Mr. Gunlock will be there as well. Um, okay, so a lot hinging on the labor market this week. Jobs Friday, we, obviously we get CPI the Tuesday before the Fed. So what could happen between now and then? If things come in cooler, which I would expect they do. We got a little preview this week already. We got jolts in cooler than expected. Mm -hmm. We got the ADP report in cooler than expected. That used to serve as a preview. It kind of stinks as a preview now. But either way, probably a cooler jobs report tomorrow. I bet the market still likes it. We want things to cool, but we don't want them to crack. And 
The other thing, and I mentioned this a few weeks ago, this is what I want to see tomorrow. Not what I want to see, what I'm watching tomorrow. The unemployment rate is expected to come in still at 3.9%. If that surprises to the upside at 4%, we hit the SOM rule. Mm-hmm. Everybody can Google that. No, you mentioned that, F-A-H-M. I think, last week. F-A-H-M. Yes, and it's SOM. when the three-month average is 50 basis points above the lowest read of the last 12 months. The lowest unemployment rate we've had is 3.4%. Mm-hmm. If we hit 4% tomorrow, that would take the three-month average to 3.9% and the SOM rule would trigger. Now, the, the rule of her rule is that that's a recession signal. Of course, that's just one thing that tells you that. I know Guy's take is that once it starts to move up like that, it's you know it happens slowly, but then all of a sudden velocity takes mm-hmm. off and it goes up. And you can look at any chart. That's how it works. I have a chart in my outlook that's going to show that you see the little turn that's happened in the unemployment rate moving back up. This is about the time where you start to bite your nails. Is it going to shoot back up? So these are the last big data points of the year. I think we can get through them and still be okay in stocks. People can still make the case that we're pulling it off. Mm -hmm. And then next year, we'll see what happens in January and February. And I think the bigger thing to watch in January and February, I think I've mentioned this before too, the buy now, pay later stuff that's happened, the Mm -hmm. credit card debt, All of that comes due Mm -hmm. in January and February through December. People are like, I want to save Christmas. Christmas transcends everything, right? I'm going to spend, I'm going to be merry. Everything is great. And then January and February comes and it's. All right. So let's pull. It's funny you say that noise. Let's pull up Liz's (laughs) note because in saving Christmas, maybe you should watch as I do every year, Charlie Brown's Christmas, because as it turns out, Christmas isn't about spending and nice fancy trees and bulbs and all those things. It's about so much more. Linus did an Van Pelt, by the way, Lucy, his his sister, uh, did an amazing job narrating that entire thing. Number one, and the other thing, since we're on this religious thing, Psalm rule as opposed to P S A L M. That's correct. Because yes. people, you know, if this thing starts going through four percent, I think prayer is in order. Anyway, let's look at well, her note. You know, Liz's mind went to sommelier. I mean, she's she's, 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 she's I have a great sommelier. Also, story. the blood of Christ. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there you go. There you she's go. putting anyway, it all together. Yeah. yeah. Look at her note. Guy and I were raised Catholic. That's yes, obvious. Were, yeah. now. <laughs> okay. So the note called workhorse. This is just all about jobs. It's all about labor. But the bigger reason that I talked about this is because we've focused on inflation for so long. And now there's a lot of people saying, we did it. It's done. We have solved the inflation debate. And now we're remembering that the Fed has two mandates, the other of which is the jobs market. So here we are staring at all the labor data and watching for a crack that's going to make them tell us that they're Mm -hmm. satisfied and that they can start cutting rates. So we've gotten obsessed with labor data the same way that we were obsessed with inflation data. Tomorrow's data, I think important, very much so because we're closing out the year. Also important to completely solidify the fact that hikes are over, right? And because the Fed hasn't confirmed that. But if we get cool data tomorrow and cool CPI on Tuesday, I think they will all but confirm that, okay, we're feeling a little better about Mm -hmm. this. We're still going to leave the door open, but we're feeling better. The, The jobs market thing too, it's important to look at, I put a chart in there, the first one, I think it's about jolts. That's job openings, labor turnover. Mm -hmm. So the headlines sometimes can be misleading. That dotted line is the 2019 average. So we're still above that average. We're still above pre-pandemic, more jobs open than before, but it is coming down. And that's a good thing because this is the big piece of how the labor market got so tight. There were so many jobs available, not enough butts to put in seats. Mm. So we had a lot of companies clamoring, paying more wages just to get employees in the door. 
that hopefully is going to balance out a little bit better. Yes, it means wage growth slows down, but it also means that we lessen the chance of a wage price spiral. Pull up your unemployment rate because this is interesting because my sense is the gray shadings were probably recession. So unemployment rate or let indicated by or followed by a recession. So this gets pretty interesting pretty quick, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is what I was talking about before. See that little tiny turn that Mm -hmm. we've seen recently. And the end of this note is called turn, turn, turn. To everything. Uh (laughs) Turn, turn. There is a season. Yeah. So it's like Ecclesiastes or something. <laughs> anyway, sorry. That little turn. And here's the thing. A lot of charts that you look at, you can find instances where it didn't work that way. This one, you're going to have a hard time finding a turn up in the unemployment rate where it didn't shoot up afterwards. Mm-hmm. And that is what I think we need to be really careful about watching and really careful about not declaring premature victory on. That turn is continuing to move upward. And the first thing that happens is companies slow down hiring. Then they close the jobs that were open. Then they start cutting their actual labor force. We obviously have not seen that third piece yet, but we could start seeing it next year. You know, it's interesting that, you know, again, those great areas you see, it's very clear, right? So the unemployment rate starts ticking up and then the the length of the recession, you know, it it really is dependent on how high that unemployment rate has gone up. Obviously, 2020 was a unique situation um, with the pandemic. I think there's another thing we could focus on is like, when I look at what's going on in crude oil just of late, I mean, oftentimes, you know, recessions are preceded by huge spikes in commodity prices. We just had a move from 65 to 95 in crude and it's seemingly going lower against fundamentals, against geopolitical backdrops against a whole host of other things. And we don't have to belabor this one guy. You and I spent some time mm-hmm. uh, yesterday on crude. You know, it opened up about one and a half percent today or so. It's given it all back. It's down on the day. The XLE, the OAH, the two, uh, you know, ETFs that track the uh, large integrateds and the um, oil drillers, you know, respectively, are both down about one percent on the day. It just seems like that seems to be something that's telling us something that people don't want to really pay attention to, guy. No, you're right, a hundred percent. You've been highlighting this for a while. You know, I was one of the people that thought that move that we saw in September would continue to the upside. That didn't prove to be true. And you know, I'll say this before Elizabeth jumps in. I have Paul Sankey's words like continue to go through my head. He was on Fast Money a, few, a week or so ago, and he said. If OPEC doesn't get their shit together, he didn't use that word, but effectively that's what he said. There's a chance, and we've seen it historically, where Saudis could say, you know what, you want to play it that way? Fine, we're going to flood the market with crude oil, and they're going to blow everybody out, which obviously is not bullish for the price. And maybe that's what crude is telling you, Dan. Yeah. Well, and Liz, here, here's another one. And this could be a good segue into butters. I mean, you just mentioned this is like what happens, right? When companies like start losing, you know, pricing power, right? Mm-hmm. When they see weaker demand, um, mm-hmm. they cut costs wherever they can. And then ultimately they'll cut jobs. And, and, that, and that's what you're kind of de- de- describing here a little bit. So I guess if we want to focus on what Butters has to say, so you guys all know Butters, mm-hmm. uh, that would be John, John Butters. Butters. He is yeah. the senior mm-hmm. earnings insight analyst over there um, at FactSet. We get a preview of his blog on the Thursday market call. It drops on Friday. You can get it. I think we have a slide where you can get it, but just go there. Get, get it in your, your inbox there, right? Why wouldn't you? I'm sure most of the people that are watching this probably or are getting probably it. Get it probably already. getting it already. I've been getting it for years. But, you know, really now what we want to talk about, if we want to talk about jobs, wage inflation, input costs, that would be like crude and other commodities, right? We have to focus on S&P earnings, right? Mm-hmm. Because we know that there was barely any earnings growth in calendar year 2020. 20- 
23, despite the fact that the S&P rallied, it's up about, what, 19 or so percent. We have a NASDAQ that's up 45 percent. The NASDAQ 100 and the NASDAQ regular way is up 35 percent. And so, again, if we predicate, you know, like valuations and earnings estimates and everything like on where the stock market should be, you know, 2023, yeah, I get it. 2022, you know, stock sold off here. But 2024, expectations are still, this is what Butters is telling us here right now, okay? We are expecting, you ready for this? Calendar 2024, nearly 12% mm-hmm. earnings growth. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now we've all been talking about for this. It ain't happening. Yeah. And, and and again, you know, it might be death by a thousand cuts, right? And you made this point, Liz. So let's talk about this a little bit. That analysts have not come out or strategists and said, just slash their 2024. Mm-hmm. They just kind of do it little quarter by quarter a little yeah, bit, right? They do. And yes, and they usually do come down. The other thing that I think analysts are dealing with, just to throw them a little bone here, is that a lot of companies have shortened the amount of time that they'll give an outlook yeah. for. So the companies are talking about one quarter in advance because they can't see out any further than that. So analysts don't have as much to work with. But yes, they are usually overly optimistic. I actually tweeted today, if you look at an, a complete um, grouping of bottom-up estimates on the S&P, price targets on the S&P, right? Right now suggesting 11% upside in 2024. Usually those are suggesting 17% upside in 2024. So still optimistic, but not as optimistic as usual. I think that this stuff will have to come down. What's really interesting is in the last couple of weeks, estimates have actually moved up Mm -hmm. ever so slightly. And revenue growth estimates have moved up ever so slightly in a time when we know inflation is going to fall. So if we can we can really definitively say that a lot of revenue this year from uh, the companies that you talk about, I can't name them, but you can, Mm -hmm. talking about organic growth, but it was really just inflationary growth. If revenue is going to move up in a time when inflation is falling, we must really be betting on a spendy consumer to get even spendier. Or though, Guy, does that, you know, like mild bump in earnings estimates have to do with the expectations of rates going lower? I mean, we just said this, like, like think about this. Yep. Three months ago, mm-hmm. there was like one or two cut priced in in the back half or the last quarter of 2024. So mm-hmm. now we're expecting five, right? Like like, like that has to be what it is. Talk, yeah, talk th- no, I'm sure rates have something to do without question. The move in rates mm-hmm. since... October 27th or November 2nd, whatever the hell it was, yeah. it's historic. Third. In third. <laughs> Let me see that. But anyway, so yeah, I think a lot of it's pre- a lot of it is also predicated on the notion that this environment, these the people that occupy those seats are inherently optimistic. Yeah. So there's a part of that as well. Look at the next slide because 12% EPS growth, okay, against almost 6% revenue growth. Okay, I'll take that as well. I yeah. think both are probably twice what they should be. So you could see, I, I this is my sense. You're going to come in, we'll, we'll have the conversation next time, this time next year, earnings growth were six and a half, seven percent 7%, which the market didn't anticipate it, against maybe flat to up a percent revenue growth. Yeah. And I don't think that's, I just don't know how that's bullish. Right. Unless you believe that multiple expansion is part of the equation that the United States equity market should be trading at a premium to the rest of the world. And maybe it deserves a 21. I just don't see that either. Yeah. Um, let's look at it on the sector front. Um, all 11 sectors are expected to report growth led by the healthcare communication services and infotech sectors. Okay. That's on the EPS front on the revenue growth um, led by information tech communication services and consumer discretionary. Okay. That all tracks a little bit here. Um, any sectors, Liz, that you want to pick out for 2024 um, that you think maybe continues to outperform or mm-hmm. some that have underperformed in 2023 that you're starting to warm up to a little bit? 
for 2024? Well, I mean, I think the defensive sectors, it, this is not a new story. The defensive sectors have lagged, particularly in the rally periods. And I still think it's okay to own those because they'll per- participate. Number one, they'll participate in a broadening out. Number two, they'll participate if we do have that drawdown, but you don't want to completely take your money out of the equity market. Now in 2024, I I mean, I thought we were going to get the answer this year. We didn't get it. I imagine we'll get the answer in 2024 about whether or not we have a recession. If we do in fact have one, the market draws down before we find that out. It bottoms before the recession is over. And then I think you have a very classic recovery on the other side of it. Because if we go into a recession, it's kind of a classic recession. It's a classic monetary policy took us into a recession. So then you bounce out of it. That classic recovery is cyclical sectors, it's small caps, particularly small cap value. Then we probably have also found out whether or not the regional banking and commercial real estate crisis became a crisis. Mm -hmm. Financials bounce pretty hard on the other side of that too. So those would be the sectors, not now, but if it happens, if we do have a drawdown that happens, even before the drawdown is over, I think you start looking at those and nibbling. All right. Well, thanks to Mr. Butters. That would be John Butters. He's just Butters. Senior, just Butters to you, Guy Adami, um, Senior Earnings Insight Analyst over there um, at FactSet. I just want to make one point about that, though. So it's, maybe they could throw this S&P chart up once again, um, maybe like a, a five-year. And, and Guy, you know, we were kind of like really the kicking and screaming in Q4 of 2021. A lot of the stuff that we were seeing under the hood, okay, we did not like, okay? And, and so we did see a lot of sectors starting to roll over a little bit. But look at that move. Remember, you you, you talked about that move that we had in the S&P yeah. 500 in particular. And this is at the time where the Fed said they're going to start to raise interest rates. But it was a passive investing, like orgy into the biggest things that kept on driving the S&P higher. But under the hood, all the speculative crap was getting killed. Unprofitable tech, recent IPOs, SPACs, you know, NFTs, anything crypto crap and everything like that. Okay. And we were fairly well uh, convinced that what happened in the major industry was a blow off top. Okay. And it was a stair step lower all of 2022. And we did crescendo towards the end. There was a huge volume intraday reversal, right? And that day in October. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we started to set this in. But the problem that I had was we did not have in October of this year, it wasn't, there wasn't enough fear anywhere. Like, right. Mm -hmm. Like, so that's one of the things that really kind of annoys me a little bit. And it makes me a little nervous here going back to this chart. And I don't mean to like belabor this is that if we are to break out above 4,600 the S&P 500 and go to 4,800, that's kind of the pain trade. That's the thing that if you're bearish and you're not willing to switch gears, which I am not for a whole host of reasons, I don't think guy you are for a lot of economic reasons, a lot of other things you see, that's going to be really painful. But couldn't that be the ingredient, the final ingredient for something that sets up for a weaker period after however that happens? Well, the two times last year that we actually were correctly bullish was in June when the VIX spiked up to 34. Mm-hmm. And you saw one of these crescendo days on volume. We talked about it. We said there's probably an 18% bounce that happened. You said it. Again, in October, you just made the point. Same thing. The VIX traded to 34. Everybody was you know, on the wrong side of the boat. And the market, we got both that right. What I got wrong was this continuation this year, which is, again, sort of defies my logic. To your point about fear, and I don't know what these zero data experts, yeah. I have no idea. The I'm not going to pretend to know. But I'll tell you, I think the highest the VIX got this year, I think, was maybe 24 or so briefly. And here we are trading effectively. You know, Liz has it up, you know, half of that. So 
yeah, there's been no fear whatsoever. Um, last year, there were a couple times where there was. This year, not so much. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to kind of make the point is that, you know, we haven't really had that blow off sort of topic. Maybe July felt a little bit because some, some of the biggest names, you know, we're, we're just making new highs every day, Microsoft, Apple and the like here. So, um, again, um, again, lots of complacency. All right. Before we get out of here, let's just hit a, a couple uh, single stock names guy reporting after the close. We kind of touched on Lulu a little bit earlier in the week. I just want to make the point six and a half percent implied move this week. Two analysts have downgraded this stock guy, which I think is kind of interesting. We mm-hmm. talked about it, I think, a couple uh, days ago. You know, when you're an analyst, you kind of put yourself out there to do that, to take a buy off of something that's working really well in discretionary. Thoughts here? Any any takeaways from what they might have to say about a consumer? Because a lot of stuff that we heard out of most retailers was fairly cautious over the last few weeks. Great. Re- this is a great retailer, a, a company that's been able to figure out their inventory. They've done a remarkable job. The concern probably for these analysts, although I have not read the note, is the stock's probably gotten ahead of itself. And now valuation-wise, it's getting a little stretched even by their standards. So where you can see the chart, we're at levels that we pointed out the other day. We're right up to November 2021 levels, which when the stock was making an all-time high. So I admi- listen, I'm not saying they're going to be right. I have no idea. But I admire analysts that put it out there ahead of a release as opposed to the guys and gals that do afterwards. So there's a chance here. They report earnings, you get that knee-jerk spike to 470, and then people take a fresh look at it and say, okay, it was a good report. How good? Is this sustainable? Uh, Are we too ahead of ourselves in terms of valuation? So my inclination is to probably do the same thing that these analysts do. Liz, are are you a Lulu, Alo? What what, what are you you doing here? I mean, I wear a lot of Lulu. I just have never really tried on Alo. I see it out there. Yeah. Is it like also a high end? Is it like a... Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it's comparable. What about the Athleta? We're not doing that? I have some of that. You know what? Athleta has really good cold weather running gear. Mm. You run outside? Fun fact. Yeah. In winter. No, you should. I mean, you want to make it... You know the way I feel about this stuff, and we got to go, I know. You want to make it as miserable an experience really? as possible. That's yeah. your Catholic upbringing. Well, I just, I, you I'm know. Saying, right? Like, well, you, that, I, that you know, I, you I want to make it no pain, no gain. miserable. Yeah. 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 All right. I'm not one. I don't, nobody cares, but nobody I'm cares. not working out with music playing and the headphones on. You know what I, oh, I want how to I work out? So you guys are going to love this. Do you? Pe- on a pelt. <laughs> I obviously easy. work out. Too easy. Um, did you see? So I have a Peloton uh, treadmill. Uh-huh. I am literally. So now this is the game changer for Peloton on your. You don't have to like watch the classes anymore. They have YouTube TV. They have Max. They have, you know, uh, Netflix. Or this or So I watch Sports Center in the morning and I listen to a podcast and I run at the same mm. time. Huh. Talk about getting a few things done. No, look, that's I, a lot of multitasking. Yeah, I tried. I wanted to be. Well, you've seen me on a plane. Like, oh my god, it's. it's should, you ever, if anybody ever sees guy down, no, he, he's sitting on a plane. He he literally stares straight ahead. <laughs> he literally has. He's he's dressed like that with a sport jacket. Doesn't even like loosen anything up, no. you know, and just stare straight, straight ahead. Do you wipe the seat down before no, you fuck, sit no. down? No, pardon me. Did I curse? I'm sorry, but no, watch, it's, it's I bizarre. can't watch stuff on a treadmill. I don't I just, run on treadmills much oh, anymore, I do but it I can't because it's the the bouncing. I can't. I can't like, focus. Um, last thing, uh-huh. okay, and then we, I promise yeah. we will get out of here. Um, we got to look at the Broadcom, mm-hmm. okay? Because I, I think this is comes more, out AVGO, which it, you know that whole thing. It, it does that bothers you. That bothers you too. Actually, all right. So this one guy is surprising to me. Well, except that. Only in a three and a half percent implied move. Okay. Yeah, which it's makes down no to sense. That, it makes no sense. It's come down to that 50 day moving average. Okay. And I look at that 
And I say that's been a nice consolidation. It broke out, it retraced, it's below the breakout level. But the one thing I'll say to you is that this is an expected, I don't know, 11% grower next year on earnings, um, slightly less on, uh, you know, 12% expected revenue growth, trading about 19 times, okay, in this space. And given some of their exposures, seems reasonable it enough because you have an S&P that's trading at 19 it's times. Very, we've talked about Broadcom for a while. I mean, we actually, this is a name we were bullish and we have said that if you like chips, you're looking for a place where you can actually get value. Yep. You know, people look at a $900 stock and say it's got to be expensive. I understand it's not. And valuation-wise, yeah. it's actually somewhat reasonable. And I think actually, I didn't realize the stock almost printed $1,000 right. the other day. So, so we here, have sold off. So here's the interesting. Okay, when we say a 3.5% implied move, what am I doing? I'm taking the at-the-money straddle. Okay, that's the call premium and the put premium. In the weekly expiration, that's tomorrow, people. Okay, the weekly reports tonight after the close. If you put the call and the put together on the 915 strike, you get about, I don't know, 32 bucks or something like that. All right. So think about that three and a half percent move in either direction. If you are convicted long, if you think that they're going to beat and raise, and the fact that the stock has pulled back from 1000 to where it is right now, right around 915 or 916 or so, if you bought, let's just say, the call for mm-hmm. $16, that's a one day trade. You're risking 16. If you bought one contract, that's $1,600. It's not a small amount. And that's as, as low as you can go there, people. You can't break up a, a one lot or anything like that. But if you thought that a beat and raise and they're going to do, let's say, 3.5% in line with the implied move, that's not a bad risk reward. Let's say it's a beat and raise better than expected. It gets back to 1,000. You know, that's actually a good risk reward. And it's probably better than buying the stock here because your risk, you know, is obviously three and a half percent, probably at least on a miss or guide down. So that's the way I think about it when I'm looking at options often. That's why we talk about the implied move. And on average, the stock has moved only, I don't know, like five percent or so over the last few quarters. You're going to get it's in in terms of this trade. And I think you agree with this. You're either going to lose it all. It's probably or you're going to get a three to a five bag around the you're back. You're saying it's a binary trade. <laughs> This one is. But it's interesting. That's one of the reasons why we focus on the options market. We don't focus on the activity. I don't really care about that. I I think the unusual stuff is a bit of a fugazi guy. What do you think? Um, I don't know. Somebody should probably come out with something that describes it. Um, Liz Liz is like, you you look like you're like a hostage. Eject. People are like, people are like, (laughs) people are like, uh, blink three times if you need, if you need out. By Um, the way, a couple things things before we get out of here. We have, we have a tease at the end. Yeah, we do. I'd be remiss if I didn't point out that the Yankees are now once again the Yankees went out and made a trade last night. Which, oh. by the way, Dan, what did I say this time you yesterday? Did. Should we do that as a segment? You know that song from the Kings, "This Time Tomorrow." Great song. I'm not way. a big fan of the Kings. Really? Celluloid Heroes Live. I like the Davies brothers. Didn't like each other. So if they don't like each other, like why the, should I? They're like the. O- <laughs> That's fair. They're like, they're like the, the Oasis guys. <laughs> uh huh. The Oasis guys. Um, no, they're like the Black Crows guys, but Robinson time, Brothers. I don't know this Oasis. time tomorrow, you know Oasis? I suspect some of the Tuesday, Almond Brothers didn't like day, each other. Oh, that No, oh, my God. Okay. You know that. No, I don't Wonder have Oasis what? on my almost now 875 song Spotify playlist. There are no, there's no Oasis. Hmm. I'm trying to think of an O, the Outlaws. I have Outlaws. That would be my O band. Just saying. You, only, you can only have one per No, letter. no, no, no. I'm just trying to think of what the O band would be. Mine would be O-A-R. Anyhow, John Alasia produced <laughs> O-A-R. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's that? probably watching right now. The Yankees made a move last night. Good for them. I will tell you that this kid, Soto, 25 years old, re- he is a generational talent. Yeah. 
He will do well in the Bronx. They're going to bat him ahead of a judge or behind him. Doesn't matter. All of a sudden, the Yankees look very good. And now Met fans out there, the four of you will say, well, he's a free agent at the end of the year. Yes, I'm aware of that. Yeah. And I've said this, and I believe this to be true. Playing in New York and playing for the Mets are entirely, they're just different. Once he gets a taste of those Yankee pinstripes, he ain't going anywhere. Right, so number one. And before we go, yeah. the Yankees are visiting with Yamamoto, which, you know what I mean, on Monday. He will also sign in New York. There you go. Back to you. So Dan. this morning, friend the of the Brewers pod, do nothing. Friend, friend of the pod, um, Rick Heitzman, uh, who's a big Yankee fan. Yeah, he is. Okay, he sent me and somebody else um, this little meme. It said, Hal Brenner to Steve Cohen. Okay, so Hal uh, Steinbrenner. Steinbrenner Hal Steinbrenner, uh-huh. the owner of the Yankees. Obviously, Steve Cohen, the owner of the Mets. Uh-huh. It was this meme. You know you know that movie? Um, what was the captain? that that um, no, it was when the uh, the when guys the plane in the river. No, no, no. Well, uh, same Sully. actor, same actor, Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks okay? okay, he's the captain of a boat. It gets hijacked, no, right? Can I, and the hijacker says, yeah. "I'm the captain now." I'm the you captain, know, I'm the captain now. now. And that's the meme. <laughs> Could, is that, can I ask, uh, listen, how, I'm not. No, I don't. No, I've never no. been on a Maersk, you know, vessel no, in the middle of not, like the North Atlantic or no. or any Neither place. But these are these are large vessels, right? Yeah, yeah, I imagine. And they are typically attacked by six or seven guys in like a pontoon boat. <laughs> but how is it possible that you can be right or wrong? That's true. Would you That's love true. that job repelling those guys? Like oh, from, from the, don't yeah. even oh. get me started. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand. I mean, in the olden times, they get like boiling oil and put it over the the castle wall. That's what pirates used to do. I mean, yeah. No, that's what the people in behind. I don't under, like. It's yeah. a, you should be embarrassed. If you're being hijacked by six guys <laughs> in a rubber boat, in a fishing with, boat? An, with an Evan Rude, you know, 15 horsepower motor. I'm the captain now. All right, should we? <laughs> no, 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 we can't end it. You, oh, we have we a tease. Oh, Back set tease. Oh, yeah, what are we doing? Read it. It's right. Put it up on the screen, oh, Amanda, or Jacob, or Steven, or whatever you want. What do I know? We, look, I'll read it. Why here we go. Now I got to I got to read it. What's prompter in here? No, we have no prompter. Backset is offering market call watchers a free trial. This is a big deal. See, there oh, it is. Well, let's do, let, let's start it again so well, we can cut this. Okay, thing. you wow. do it then. Hey, market call is offering Backset viewer. No, we got to do it again. What are we doing? I, I'll do it. So go to the beginning. <laughs> I didn't know this. How did be- I know this? Go to the beginning of the slide. Okay, and I will do the. I didn't know. And we have we a special this. offering for you folks out there. Okay, you ready, Dan Nathan? Yes, sir. Backset is offering market call viewers a free trial. You'll get access to all of their charts, all of their data. Go to factset.com slash LP slash market call. Check it out, people. This is pretty Well, cool. here's the one thing. I will say this. That guy, you and I get asked all the time from viewers of Market Call, Fast Money, our podcast, what do you guys use to track the markets on a daily basis? We get asked, like, what are the sort of analytics that you use? How do you set up screens? How do you kind of think about analyst ratings and earnings estimates and all that sort of stuff? And what do you use for your charts? We use Faxon, yeah, we do. and it's a great system. So go check that out. We are offering that very special trial. Uh, so check it out, people. We've been using it a long time. And you love the street accounts. Big. Uh, street accounts is a great service. And once you do that trial, you can drill down. And it's basically just aggregating all the news from every news service all over the street. And it's a great tool that we use every morning and throughout the day. So check it out, people. All right. We did that. That was fun. Yeah, we did. We had Liz in studio. Long show. I'm sorry. People are like, oh, my God. Yeah. But he we had EY here. So where you did know. you have to be, Liz? I have another podcast to record in seven minutes. Whoa. <laughs> really? I'm going to be late. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh, sorry. sorry. No, no, you know what? Okay. 
Well, you should I told be smiling your heart out. I told him I was going to. I want to thank Elizabeth Young. That, of course, is EY from SoFi. I want to thank Facts at SoFi. Get your money right all in one app. Butters. Obviously, Butters. Obvi. Obvi. And I want to thank the audience. We'll be back. What's tomorrow? We won't be. We'll be back on Monday. Yeah. But tomorrow's Jobs Friday. Just in case. Check it out. Check out Liz in the 10 box on Squawk and No, she's not going to be in the 10 box. We'll see you later, folks. See everyone. Thanks. 